had another dream. Is that right? Blackbird again. Same blackbird. Well, you get knocked around. You're bound to have some weird dreams, Billy. Come on, man. You look, man. You're supposed to believe in stuff like this. You say, man, if I didn't believe in magic, I'd still be treating gallbladders, prostates, and stuff like that. Folks, welcome to the Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. This is episode 146, and today we're going to be talking about a cult classic known as Night Riders. This great and fantastic film stars Ed Harris, Gary Lottie, Tom Savini, and the absolutely gorgeous Pat Tallman. I am your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me is my very good and dear friend, Mark, it's a damnable thing, Slover. <laughs> hey, Steve. Yo. Sorry to report Jeff and Ken are indisposed. When I left them in a crappy roadside diner, no. <laughs> Jeff was wrapped around Ken's ankles, hitting him with a loaf of bread and salad tongs, and Ken was pouring soft-serve ice cream on Jeff's head in an effort to drown him in chocolate vanilla swirl. Oh, gosh, probably one of the more more epic scenes of that movie. Oh, my <laughs> that gosh. That was a great scene. You know, and I had forgotten about that. I'd forgotten about that one. It's been a while <laughs> since I've seen this. So, uh, folks, there you go. That was uh, uh, Mark basically letting you know that our other two very good and dear friends, uh, Ken and Jeff, are indisposed. Probably because uh, what happened, you know, just like Mark described, they're it was ugly when I left. Yeah, it's pretty much that's what's going on. So, you know, no. I paid fifty-two dollars and sixty cents for the food they had they had destroyed, and that's when I left. I, I, I was out. Indeed. Uh, well, Jeff definitely is out of commission tonight. He is uh, involved in something with an irrelevant female, and, and that, those were his words from the last podcast. I'm just saying, Ken might show up at some point, but uh, at this stage of the game it is the dynamic duo of sir mark and sir steve so we're going to be talking about night riders and mark i have to say i think we finally did it i think we finally stumped the listening audience on the quote of the movie you know what i think we actually had to deep or, or dig deep down into the archives of uh, obscure movies from the uh, the very early 80s to do that because this is not a well-known movie. This is pretty much a cult classic. It's uh, 1981. George Romero did it, and I know a lot of people know George Romero of doing obviously the, uh, the you know the classic Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, and those type of movies. This one is definitely off the beaten path of the kind of stuff that he used to do. So it is. Uh, it's a fun movie. I saw it. Gosh. I'm trying to remember. I think I bought this movie, or not bought. I'm sorry. I think I read it by accident. I it was I was looking at the cover. I'm like, oh, good medieval movie. I'm going to get this. Needless to say, I, I I felt like I got a bait and switch when I first started it, and then just kind of got sucked into it and really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think the first time I saw it, it was when HBO was new, and 
you know, between the 38 showings of Eddie Macon's run per day, um, <laughs> this got slid in. Uh, and it, yeah, I was like you. I was like, oh, well, you know, guy on a motorcycle with uh, medieval armor. All right, I'll watch it. And, you know, that was this is Ed Harris's first major role. And, and the only person that I really recognized from the Dawn of the Dead stuff was um, was Tom Savini. Right. So it, it's a it's a quirky, offbeat, unique movie. And I, I think it'll be fun for you and I to talk about it. And I think it'll be fun for our listeners to um, go hunt it up. And it is on YouTube in eight parts. And the quality is good. It's it's good good transfer quality on youtube that's where we found it but it 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 is definitely a cult movie and not of the grindhouse variety wouldn't you agree steve it's not a grindhouse movie it's got an interesting it's got an interesting message if you will and that's a good point mark it is not a grindhouse movie it's it's one of those things where you look at a movie that a director is known for like i said he you know he did a lot of the uh you know, the, the Night of the Living Dead, you know, George Romero is more known for that, you know, the horror thing from the, the 70s and 80s. This almost seemed like this was a uh, a personal project, maybe, you think? Sounds, yeah, it, it kind of had that feel to it. Yeah, it? this is not something that you would have thought that George Romero would have done. And it's a long movie, folks. Let me tell you, this movie's like four and a half hours long. No, it's not. It's not four and a half hours long. Oh, you're right. It's not. I, I, I That's Lawrence of Arabia. This, no. This, this is like, but it is a solid two hours and like five minutes or so. It's over two hours. No, it was, I, I, my bad. I, what happened was, the reason it was four hours and uh, some odd minutes for me is that the scene when Pat Tallman stands up in the, in the, in the oh. bushes and oh. she's in all of her <clears throat> naked glory, I accidentally hit the pause button. Oh, I thought you just and, put it on loop. Watch her pop up, watch yeah. her pop up, watch her pop up. Yeah, it. Um, so, yeah, it was one of those things where I'm like, is this movie ever going to end? Oh, can't find the play oh, button. Two hours later. <laughs> two hours later. Oh, there's the play button. So, anyway. so Shall we introduce the movie? Let's introduce the movie. Okay, folks, this is the Man Cave movie intro to this great and fantastic film. A medieval reenactment troupe finds it increasingly difficult to keep their family-like group together with pressure from local law enforcement, interest from entertainment agents, and a growing sense of delusion from their leader. My queen, do you want to put your charm on my lance? Son of a bitch must pay. <laughs> You know, if she did that, it'd be bad luck for you. It would. You'd just wipe out and hit the wall. Yeah, I actually had a sound clip that I, I can't find. It's somewhere <laughs> in my massive archives of uh, sound clips that I have accumulated over the last three years of this flipping podcast. I was like, oh, I can't find it. And I didn't want to delay any further. But uh, anyway. Uh, bravo. There you go. Uh, yeah, and it's Steve, as the intro nailed it, it's based on uh, you know early days of like society of creating of anachronism but these guys go from little town to little town to county fairs and they joust on motorcycles right so they're gearheads they're gearhead knights and they they've kind of created this 
community that's kind of grown, you get the sense as you get into the movie, and that the growing pains are part of the problem with what what's going on and we'll talk about. And they're they're all some of these guys people are really well grounded and just want to get away from it. Some guys are motorheads, some people are misfits, some people are just attracted to the medieval thing. Uh but it it's a real interesting character study with some cool motorcycle jousting. And, and I'm just going to say this. I think one of the reasons, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm not trying to presume mm-hmm. anything on you, but I think one of the things that you and I really like about this, even though that we were not into the whole medieval reenacting, we did the Civil War reenacting. So, but so there's a there's an understanding with reenactors. There's some people that, like you said, are into it as an escape. They want to do it. They want to respect the history or whatever. And then there's some people that are living it. And then, <laughs> yeah, that's a very polite way to put it. <laughs> yeah. And then there's others yeah. that are just there for, you know, shits and giggles or whatever. I mean, and I think that is it. And it wasn't really until, again, maybe about the last 10 years when I saw this again and after, you know, spending time in that uh, reenacting community where it's like, Oh yeah, I I know who those guys are, and I know who those guys are, and yeah, I could tell who those guys are. You know, you know who the groups are. So I mean, I think that was one thing why maybe you and I can really relate to yeah. this movie in a sense. Um, and it's like any startup or any group that expands or creates something and it starts to grow, you can all of a sudden get outside influences. And people who, you started it for one reason, and other people get involved, and they've got their interests, and they've got their desires to do things and to grow the grow the business. And that's right. the problem with this. It starts to become a business to to Ed Harris's character, and, and you run into these tensions. Um, and it, I think it's really well handled in this movie, because you've got some real interesting personalities and you think at the beginning of the movie that we're going to have cuz it's basically king arthur's court on on motorcycles with some uh, some marginalized people and some people who are on the back end of the 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 counterculture move and mm-hmm. some people who are enjoying who just can't who just want to who are just in the motorcycle groove and that just on the fringe of society they're not they're not bad people they're just living outside of what would be considered the norm and and there's no you think at the beginning that there's going to be good versus evil and it's really not it's people with honest motivations and uh how all of these different competing interests collide and then in the end sort themselves out and you walk away from the movie going okay no one was played as a, a, a as a stereotype right well, and it, it's really well handled for a quirky little offbeat cult movie, right? And I think you see that throughout the the movie is you've got Ed Harris plays, you know, Sir Billy or Sir William. He's the king, and he basically, and kind of the rules of the of the whole thing is that you know the king has got his group of guys, and then there's the you know the opposition, which is led by uh, Morgan Morgan Lefay. Which that's kind of funny because <laughs> yeah, there's an ins- 
we're not going to give away a lot of spoilers, yeah. right, Steve, on this movie? We probably shouldn't. I mean, and no. again, folks, if you if you really want to go see this, it like I said, it's chewy. It is definitely different. I mean, this movie's got its production shortcomings. I am not going to uh, sugarcoat oh, no. it. There's, I'll tell you, the biggest beef I had about this movie was, I don't know who the hell the sound manager was, but, man, that guy should have been fired. Well, it was all shot outdoors. You can tell yeah. this was shoestring. But yeah. that said, yeah. and we aren't going to give a lot away. It, it is streaming on YouTube. Just type in Knight Riders, one word. It's all one word, Knight Riders, K-N-I-G-H-T, Riders. But it, I think most of our listeners, if, will at least walk away going, I'm glad I watched it. If yeah, they you... don't enjoy it, they'll walk away going, oh, that was kind of different. That was unique. Yeah. You don't see movies like this getting made very, much anymore. No. And I think at the time, this is the kind of movies that they were kind of putting out back in the you know the late 70s, early 80s. And, and again, this was made in 81. And to be honest with you, uh, this it shows. Movie, yeah, it show. Well, let's put it this way: it could have been made in 1975, and you wouldn't have known the difference. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they they didn't skimp on the uh, on the hairstyles, or it's like, man, it just literally there was no change. I mean, you think of the 80s, you you have this image of you know everybody looked like Duran Duran. No, everybody still looked like Farrah freaking Fawcett <laughs> back back then. Curly hair, oh, it's crazy, I, but it's good stuff. I I can't. I, I guess this is kind of one of those movies where if you're from a certain generation, if you're like really young, you'd look at this going, oh, my God, this is garbage. But I I think, you know, those of us who are a little bit older, you know, those of us who were born probably in the late 60s, early 70s. I mean, we can appreciate this because, I mean, you guys may have saw this. And if you didn't see this, you probably saw a lot of movies kind of like this and when i say yeah. like it i said basically in terms of production quality so it's not something that you're gonna go oh this is crap yeah it was crap for the time it was made and like mark said it was made on a shoestring budget you had a bunch of at that time no name people but but the thing of it is it is really a great story and it's yeah. a really awesome character study of of a bunch of different people throughout this movie. I mean, like Mark said, you've got some guys that are taking this like really seriously that this is, you know, there's a code there's, we're all about the code and honor. And there's other guys. We're just here for shits and giggles. We're just here because we like to ride motorcycles. You right. know, there's other ones that are there because they just want to sell their medieval stuff on the, on the side. So and it is, it's really interesting because you've got this whole diverse group and Mark really laid it out very well when you start off with this in mark i mean i mean we could pretty much speak to this in our old reenacting group you start mm -hmm. off with a vision and all of a sudden next thing you know you're going off in a in a completely different direction that uh this isn't what we thought it was going to be and this is where we're going yeah and it's not necessarily a bad thing but right and and people's agendas grow and change anybody who's been in a group Anybody who's been on a team, anybody who's been even in a workplace, you can identify with the group dynamics that are involved here. And especially when you've got an individual who holds everything together and also has a bit of a messiah complex. Yes. Um, and, and Ed Harris does a – folks, for no other reason you should watch this movie for Ed Harris. This guy does more acting without saying a word than most people do in mo in most movies. And this was his first major role. And he plays a, a guy who 
he's delusional and he's got he's got issues but you have to admire him because and everybody does even if they've got differences with him they come around to realize he has a code and even if you don't agree with that code you have to respect that code and you right. you you have to admire the man because he's going to live life on his terms right not on the world's terms that means that you are there are going to be costs involved well, and that's just it, and and you really kind of hit it. And let I I would really like to talk a little bit about the actors when we get into this. And you know, Ed Harris, this is uh, uh, you know, to be honest with you, one of his finer performances. I mean, I've seen oh, him in yes. a, I've seen him in a ton of stuff, and I've seen him in movies where I just thought he was wasted in, and um, which is really sad because I mean, I think this guy is, you know, one of the you know great actors that are out there and i'll tell you this guy does angry like nobody's business he does angry where i mean when el pacino does angry he's just like okay whatever when when ed harris is doing angry on the screen i'm actually sitting there going getting that tingle going god i'm actually kind of nervous right now like he's yeah. going to come through the screen and kick my ass yeah i mean and what's interesting is and i think he's really never been recognized as a great cult actor but a good solid actor who stands up to that and pushes back really well is tom savini the interesting thing is when you watch this movie folks you're going to realize savini and harris are two sides of the same coin that they, they they are yin and yang this movie does not have good guys and bad guys it is the king arthur story folks right but and it, it does have merlin it's got all these people have taken these names and these roles and they've a lot of them are living in that world. So it gets, and then some guys want to go commercial. And, right. and it's that whole, are we a family? Is this just a, a, a good little thing that we've got? Or are we going to take it up a notch? And what does that do to the dynamics of the group? And it's all about group dynamics when you really get down to it. Right. And, and you're right, Mark. That's kind of like, and you kind of nailed it. I mean, there's two groups. I mean, do we keep with our you know, little happy family and do what we're doing. And, you know, they kind of made a point of like, you know, we're just kind of here, you know, scratching out a living. We're pretty much making ends meet. We're making enough money to give everybody a little bit of spending money and buy parts for the motorcycles. But outside of that, you know, they, they don't really have a nest egg. I mean, they're really going from one town to the other, you know, is almost like a circus troupe is basically yep. what they are. And, and then all of a sudden they start getting noticed. I mean, there's some, you know, promoter that comes out and he's like, I, you know, you guys are, you know, you're making a couple grand here, a couple grand there. I could have you going from town to town making forty, fifty thousand dollars a town, blah, blah, blah. you know, and all of a sudden some of these others that you kind of see who's, you, you know, like who's in it for the, what's the, I don't, I'm trying to find the right word. They're in it for the, for the lifestyle versus the right. ones that are going, Wait, you mean we can make we can make coin off of this? And yeah. all of a sudden, you know, the 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 glitter of the money and everything, you know, attracts a whole I mean, and the whole troop kind of splits up. And what's really interesting about that, Mark, is where you start seeing, you know, Tom Savini's the first one to say, we're going with we're going with the big bucks. Yeah, we're gonna go basically yeah. do medieval knights. Yeah, we're gonna go do yeah, on medieval, motorcycles. Exactly. But you know what was interesting is down inside of him, and you start to see that when they go when when they split, you see 
where I think down inside he still kind of felt that code that Ed Harris had. Because you remember yeah. when he's doing the photo shoots, you could just see he's like, the frick am I doing here? Good yeah. Lord, they got me in this. Uh, and I'll tell you what, I he made he made Jeff Muncy look like he got waxed. <laughs> I mean, my God, that man, that's a hairy man. But um, Yeah, but he's cut. I mean, he was oh, cut. Well, I mean, these guys are in their, I mean, early 30s. I mean, hell, we all looked great back then. Yeah. But yeah, I mean he was he was I mean good looking guy, I mean well built and everything. But you could see during those scenes, he just he wasn't comfortable. He wasn't happy. Right. And and you saw that scene when you know, like his group, the group that went with him. You know, when he comes back and he sees him in the hotel room <laughs> and they're just going berserk i mean they're drunk they're ter- i mean they're basically it's doing a rock a- it's a rock band on a rip yeah it's a rock a band room. on a rip in a hotel room and he's just standing there going what the hell are you guys doing yeah. and prior talk heads for the exit yeah and they're all just like okay this isn't what we signed up for and right. i think in his mind he's just like and and it is it is like you said mark it's the king arthur story yeah it is and it's such it's really it's really well played and it's really well done throughout this movie. Um, and I just always thought that was really poignant. And I just love that particular scene where Tom Savini, who, when you see it in the beginning, when you watch him in the beginning of the movie, you're just like, you know, you really don't like this guy because he just seems like an opportunist. Oh yeah. But he, I I think deep down inside, he, he also has a certain code because you know, he's not there just to ride the motorcycles. I mean, he still wants the crown. He still looks at that as, I still have to earn that. Yeah, and in the end, and we're not going to give a lot away, folks, but in the end, in some respects, there's two interesting character arcs. There's Billy with Ed Harris and his devolution, and Tom Savini as Morgan, who grows up. Yes. Who becomes responsible in this movie and realizes that, he what he wants there is a there is a cost involved to be king and he he all it dawns on him at the end that that and there's a real neat scene and i don't want to give it away but there's a real neat scene if you pay attention and steve i i i'm sure you saw it is is when savini and ed harris see each other for the last time you know when that over the crown issue when they're resolving that one guy's one guy's ascending, you know, hail to the hail to the king, um, long live the king, and then you know, the other king is stepping down. It's a real interesting scene because some guys are celebrating and other people are just standing there shocked. Yeah. And Ed Harris and Savini play it very well of it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. And Savini realizes he's got to step up, and Harris realizes he's got to step down for their own reasons. It. I give Romero a lot of credit for a guy who you just chalk up as a, you know, a horror film, B-grade horror film genre director. There, there's a real sense of humanity to this movie, and I, you know, a lot of people are going to go, "Oh God, you're reading a lot into a, into a cult movie." No, I'm not. Really, watch this movie for the characters, and you'll appreciate. There's some interestingly well-drawn characters, and some interesting subplots between characters. Right. And, and Mark, you, you make a good point. I mean, the fact that, you know, this is a two, you know, two hours and 37 minutes. I looked it up. 
Is it uh, two hours and 37 minutes? Two hours and 37 minutes. Um, four and hour- it could be chopped. There's yeah. some stuff that could yeah. be cut, yeah. I will say. Yeah, four hours if it's if you accidentally <laughs> hit the pause button like I did, but that's we're, we're not going to go there. But, uh, no, yeah, it's it's a long movie, uh, especially for this period of time. In, in Mark's right, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that could be cut. I think, um, as a matter of fact, I have to when we get to trivia, there's something that I saw in there. I was like, holy crap. Uh, there's a ton of things in this movie that I think uh, – I don't know why Romero put it in there. It was almost like I'm just going to let the camera run. And I think there were – I think – some of the stuff that was going on was literally these guys sitting around a campfire ad-libbing. Oh, I, I do too. Yeah, I mean, some of the, you know, you're like, what does this have to do with the rest of the movie? I mean, there's things that are going on that just really, like, it never really makes sense, really never comes back. Maybe I missed it, but. Well, I was going to say, one of the interesting subplots that for the time is shocking, and I don't mean that in a negative way, and it's also very well handled, is one of the minor important characters wrestling with his sexuality. Oh, yeah. Well, that was what I was talking about. That whole uh, that whole campfire discussion is like, are you gay? And he's like, what? And, and, and the way they were asking him it, about it, I'm just sitting there going, you know what? I didn't do that even when I was in high school. We would never do that to somebody. But, but you know, I got to give Romero credit. He raises a real interesting issue. In, in a non, in a way where people are just trying to, well, if you are, you're still one of us, but what are you? It, it, it's not ham-handed and it's not overt. It's just, what's going on with you? Yeah, and, because and, you, I, it, it's not, it's, I, for for the period of time in which this movie came out in 1981, that type of an issue, that type of a social issue is almost unheard of to be addressed in that way. Right. And and you're right, Mark. They were, it was more out of curiosity. It's like, you know who we are. It's like, what's your deal? But it's not like they were asking him, you know, they didn't you, care. Yeah. They, I don't, you are fine. Yeah. You're still the family. You're in the family. Yeah. None of them cared. They, you know, there was no, I, I mean, that was one of the interesting things about this is that, when you look at it from 1981, this was a very diverse movie too, because oh yeah, there was there there was very I mean there was a lot of uh, let's put it this way, not everybody in this medieval troop was white, <laughs> and there was a fair amount of uh, mixing of the races in terms of mates, which I'm sure at that time raised some hackles, but it. You know, you know, today you're looking at it's like, yeah, whatever. That's you know, you see that every day now, but it then it may have right. been an issue, which I thought was kind of cool because it just kind of showed that there were there were people that were wanting to for whatever reason were attracted to that lifestyle. You know, right. and again, it goes back to the people that were attracted to it. Everybody had a different agenda. I mean, I think there were some people that were really involved in it, and there were others that just were like, whatever. You know, we're, we're just here to make a buck or to sell our wares, and, and that's it. Yeah, and some people, you're right, they really, they really bought into the medieval ideals, and they, that, that's what they were there for. And it was, it was a refuge. You know, that's the other thing. You're talking about, for the most part, with one or two exceptions like Savini's character and a couple of the biker dudes, 
um, and even them, you could argue, are on the fringe of society. These are people who don't fit in. Right. And they found a place. They've, they've made their own community. And, you know, to your point about, you know, uh, people of different races hooking up, like attracts like. And I, I give Romero credit. It's whether or not you agree with it, it doesn't matter. What he's saying is people form communities. And within those communities, people form relationships and bonds. Right. We're not trying to get deep here, folks, but he really handles some issues in a very low-key sort of way. He just presents them and moves on with the film. Or you can just watch the movie for the motorcycle jousting, which is also pretty damn cool in and, in and of its own right. Well, and to be honest with you, we really kind of need to talk about that because I'll tell, yeah. you, I'll tell you what, folks. When you watch this movie and you see the motorcycle jousting that's going on, you have to wonder, did this movie have a, a literal body count of literally people that die because there were part there were things i'm like oh my god is that guy he had to have died there's no way that guy lived the one female knight who goes over the hood of the of the station wagon no that wasn't the female that was the the one oh, that, that was, was actually the, yeah. the one black guy that was one of the yeah. one black knights and i remember when i saw that i was like holy crap he really smack that i mean and this isn't one of those where you could tell that they had a catapult you saw the motorcycle smack into the station wagon and this guy flying i'm like where did they get the stuntman for this and the photography if you when you watch this movie folks the motorcycles are going and guys who get knocked off guys are running out to get them yeah and i'm sure they've got safety so it looks looks more intimidating than what it is but you've still got a lot of motorcycles running in circles with guys with helmets with poor vision wearing pseudo armor and holding on to a sword or a mace and trying to whack each other in these scenes. Yeah. I, it's I give the writers credit. These guys these guys were good. Yeah, there's I mean if you want to see some really skilled motorcycle riding I mean if you, if that's all you're into, you got to watch this movie because yeah. you won't see stuff like this ever again. Because it it after a while you kind of get numb to it because you see a lot of it. But when you first see these guys out there, you're like, holy crap! How did they do that? Yeah. It, it's, and the and the best part is the final the final duel at dawn. Yes. That I it's, mean, it, it's a great. That's fi- really well shot. It is very well shot, and it's it's a it's a very climactic scene. It's and it's a very powerful and a very emotional scene, and especially when you're watching Ed Harris. Yes, because he's he's finally like, this is what it's all about. This is yeah. what I wanted. Because and you know why, Mark? There's no crowds. Mm. There's there. It's just you're right. Them. There's it's not a show. It's not a show. For anybody else, it's just them. Yeah. You know, and the other thing you'll see here, not just motorcycles, but motorcycles with a pseudo sidecar. Oh, those are awesome. (laughs) I just (laughs) thought those were, I mean, seriously, folks, if you have not seen this movie, you got to watch it. And yeah, you got to, you got to kind of bite down on the bull a little bit. It's, it's hard to get through in the, a little bit in the beginning because of the production value. But it is a very good movie, and you've got to watch it just for the action. And, yeah. you know, like I said, those stunt scenes, 
God Almighty. I mean, I mean, there were times I literally were cringing when I saw some of the crashes, and you see these guys flying, and the way they hit the ground, you're like, Jesus Christ, yeah. that guy had to have broken his neck. I right. mean, I mean oh. a couple of those guys, I'm, you, and they even show in the movie, guys are getting hauled off, and it's not like, oh, yeah, send me back in, coach. No, these guys, these guys are hurt. Yeah. They got broken arms, yeah. dislocated dislocated shoulders. Yeah. I mean, guys are coming off the field torn up. Yeah. The the, the scene where Savini, you're like, well, that stunt actor at the, the last fight, boy, he made his he made his money in that scene. Oh, yeah, he did. Good Lord. Um, and you'll understand it when you see it, folks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, obviously, you know, some of the other actors, the, you know, the two main ones that we've talked about, obviously, Ed Harris, Tom Savini. Tom Savini has not done that much acting he is more of a special effects guy um, yeah he I mean, was he, in Django yeah he was in another movie that we reviewed he's in Machete he was in um oh god what was the movie we did actually uh, I take that back he's Dust, been in a shit ton of movies I just I yeah. always think of him as more of a special effects dude but yeah Dust he's been killed a, on he was sex machine and we yes, reviewed that yes yes folks go back and uh, listen to our Dust Till Dawn podcast that's an awesome one yeah. He's a dark-haired guy, beard and mustache, kind of menacing looking, and he always plays you think he's going to be this menacing badass and he is, but he's also got he's got a certain charm to him. He he's always he's he's got a certain you like this guy. Right. You know he's he's got an edge to him, but you but he's 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 kind of got that bad boy, but you want to hang with him and drink a beer. Right. I mean, he'd be the kind of guy that you and I both would agree. We Tom Savini was going to be somewhere we'd be like, well, let's go get a beer with him. Absolutely. Well, you know what's funny, Mark? Real quick, just to talk about Tom Savini. When I was uh, you know, watching it last night, I'm getting sound clips. Depp comes down, and there's a scene where you know he's he's sitting there. She goes, isn't that the dude from Sons of the Anarchy? Isn't that, isn't that Tig? I'm like, no, that's Tom Savini. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. And, if, and folks, if you've ever seen uh, – uh, Sons of Anarchy. Remember Tig, the guy that would, yeah. and, and it's pretty funny yeah. because these two are pretty much two of a kind. They would mount anything that moved. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he pretty much looked like him. I mean, yeah, so. I don't think so. He <laughs> was born in 46 and yeah. the interesting thing about him is he was a combat photographer in Vietnam. Yes. Yes, he was. Yeah. Uh, just you know, and, and he's if you've ever seen any Romero movies, you've seen Savini. Yes. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, he was one of Romero's, uh, you know, top picks. I mean, yeah. he's been. I mean, he's been in a bunch of stuff. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, you don't see him much, but I mean, he's been out there. But uh, he's still working. Yeah, he's still working. The guy's, uh, you know, he, he's a cool dude. I, like you said, you yeah. know, guy you want to go have a beer with. And uh, well, gosh, I, we got to talk about her because she was in the movie quite a bit, but. Uh, do you have to talk about the absolutely stunning Pat Tallman? Okay, I'm just going to say it. Yes, stunning, bubbly, cute, but you could tell she was still learning her acting chops in this movie. Well, she was, I think, um, let's see, she was born in 1957, so 81 was, uh, well, gosh, it was her first movie. Yeah. It was her. Well, very... I'm not running her down. Yeah. I'm just saying it was obvious she was learning her trade. Well, yeah, because it was her first movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I, we're both huge Pat Tallman fans, and she's yeah. a great, 
stunt woman too. Yes, and she was in um, uh, guy uh, Shaisa, Army of Darkness. She played yep. the uh, she played the witch. Yep. Yep. So there you go. And uh, I'll tell you, I I still am convinced that she sold her soul to Satan because I don't think the woman is aging one bit at all. No. I've Another seen- guy we need to talk about. You- People have seen him in a ton of movies as the weaselly crap weasel character is Martin, Martin Ferrero. Ferrero. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. he, he's playing the shyster deal maker in this movie. If you've seen Heat, he was briefly in that as the guy who was selling the TNT to Val Kilmer's character. <laughs> no, no. Shorty. That was not yeah, him. He was. No. That was um, he was a construction worker. Yeah, he was a construction oh, clerk at the beginning. Oh Christ, that's uh, it's Fredo. No, Fred, it's no Fredo's dead. No, the no. guy who played Fredo is dead. No, Fredo was the guy that uh, no. no Fredo was the guy that no. sold the stuff. No, are you sure? It was Marty Ferrero. Yep, I'm looking at his. I'm looking at his uh, IMDb. I know they look alike, but it's Marty Ferrero. Oh, he was also in Jurassic Park. Okay. Yep. I remember him there. You've seen him. You know, it's like central casting. I need a weaselly guy. Yes, <laughs> Marty Ferrero. <laughs> and he's good at it. I mean, I don't, I'm not running the guy down. He's yeah. a very good actor. It's just yeah. you, people will recognize him in this movie. They'll go, I've seen that guy. Yeah, you sure have. Yep. He's playing a crap weasel. Yes, he is. <laughs> well, Why, yes, he is. Well, two other ones. Uh, Deb and I have been uh, watching uh, reruns of the X-Files on Netflix okay. streaming. And because Deb never seen all of them, and he was uh, uh, he played Shooter in one of the episodes. Um, Ferrero did, yeah, Ferrero did, yeah, really, yeah, he was in that, and he was also in uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Yes, he was, he was we the hotel that guy that uh, <laughs> the watch, the watch, yes, that's. He was in that, so yeah, Mark Ferro. It's I mean, great role for him. Absolutely. It's the other guy that people are going to go, that's Scatman Crothers. Yeah, his <laughs> brother Blue. It ain't Scatman Crothers. I folks. swear to God, Mark, thank you because I was going to say, is that Scatman Crothers? Yep, looks just like him. <laughs> and the guy is—he's some sort of storyteller. His name—he goes by the name Brother Blue, and he plays Merlin and. You know, in this quirky, goofy, hippie sort of way, you—he's a cool kind of character. Yeah, and he was fine in the movie. I mean, he—yeah, he, he was. I mean, for the because I think it's the only movie he's ever done, ever. But uh, I mean, he was—he was perfect for it. Yeah, he's eighty-eight years old. Oh, he died. He passed away in oh, two thousand nine. Oh, yeah. He was born Hugh Morgan Hill, but he went. By the name of Brother Blue. Wow. And he was a storyteller. He was yeah. one of these guys who, you know, just kind of worked as a storyteller. But in this movie, you think, that's Scatman Crothers. Nope. Nope. <laughs> but you know, the thing of it is, is that you could have put Scatman Crothers in this movie and he would have been perfect. Because they yep. looked alike. I mean, they had the bald head. They just had that same exact look. Yeah. Yeah, you almost have to wonder if George Romero said... I can't afford Scatman Crothers. 
<laughs> I think that's exactly what it was. I need this well, guy. Well, Scatman just came off the shining. His his stock was oh, yeah. way up. <laughs> there you go. That's exactly. And he's a cool character in this movie. He is. He's very well done. It's not taking anything away from him. He was. He did a great job. So yeah. Uh, you know what? Let's. I'm gonna jump in and do a little bit of trivia sure. about this because there's some, yes. there's some pretty cool stuff. And um, oh, here you go. Here's your cameo. Good Lord. Oh, yeah. Uh, Stephen King and his oh, wife, Tabitha King, played a spectator with a loudmouth opinion and a fairly messy face. That's putting it mildly. And it's his... like he rolled his face in the dirt and then just popped up like, I don't know, like the gopher from Caddyshack. Yeah, because what was with, I mean, no one has a five o'clock shadow that looks like that. It was like it was no. painted on. It, because it probably was. Yeah. He had the acting range that if you've ever seen Stephen King in any of his movies, you realize uh, the only reason he's in this movie is because he knows somebody or it's his material. Yes, exactly. Well, here you go. King was on the set because he was working on the script for Creep Show with George Romero. Oh, okay. So, that explains That it. explains why he's there. My God. Oh. Awful. Thank God he only is on there for about mm, 10 seconds. And and just so you know, folks, when, when Stephen King comes on the uh, the screen, you can go take a pee. <laughs> well, you can do that pretty much any time Lynette shows up, as, who's Ed Harris's queen. She's uh, pretty forgettable. Yeah, I kind of like looking at her when she was, I, well, well. Yeah, but, but, you know, don't ask her to act. Well, there's that. Uh, the production shoot for this film ran around 90 days. That's it? That's it, 90 days. Did you notice one of the scenes near the end where Billy rode past? Did you see the sign? Oh, Gettysburg Park? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they rode past. You saw cannons. Well, the whole yeah. thing was filmed in Pittsburgh, I think. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Yeah, Pennsylvania. Yeah. yeah, so there you go. Uh, director George Romero claims that the medieval pre-17th century Europe tribute organization, the Society for Creative Anachronism, was an influence and inspiration for the movie. No shit. Yeah, pretty obvious. Uh, the picture was shot entirely on location far from England and Europe in the environs of metropolitan Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania, USA. And, um, yeah, so, well, like I said, they went right past uh, Gettysburg. So Yeah. Well, and the other thing is for people watching this movie, if you watch behind the principal photography like the buildings and the people that are just extras lining the streets and yep. the, the cars and the trucks it really does give you a good idea of what did america look like in the late 70s early 80s in the midwest in pennsylvania and in steel towns mark that I, thank you for bringing that up because that is something i really noticed and let's put it this way there's there's one scene when they're doing a parade through the through a town <laughs> you could pretty much figure this must be pennsylvania because everybody's got a freaking steelers t-shirt or hat on <laughs> so yep. it's like oh this must be pennsylvania because yep. it's sure as shit ain't ohio <laughs> it's, it's gotta be and it's gotta be western pennsylvania because if it was philly they'd be wearing eagles jerseys exactly so yeah. it's uh no it's great because and you do you you really get a great sense of how those towns looked how people dressed i mean it it really is for, and 
you know, I apologize for some of our younger listeners, but, you know, for those of us over the older generation, this movie was a little bit of a, a flashback to our younger yeah. years because it's, it's like, gosh, you know, for you guys, you look at that and go, Jesus Christ, you bunch of redneck inbreds. And it's like, no, we all look like that. <laughs> Hell, they look like that in LA too. <laughs> yeah. It, it, people don't realize the eighties by 81, we were just starting to turn the corner out of the Carter years and the recession. Right. Things were just starting to get better. I mean, they were still not good. Right. It, it was a, it was a hard time in this country. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was it. I mean, you had like these troops that were going through because they were bringing, you know, something to look at. It was like, oh, good. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just something to go out there and, and get you away from the fact that you were paying 17% interest on your home, home mortgage. Yeah. And if you lived in, you know, people don't realize if you lived in Pittsburgh or steel towns in the seventies or eighties, you were looking at a dead end lifestyle. It's not the Pittsburgh of today. It had not been revitalized. It was just beginning to do that. This was Rust Belt kind of. Not not to go off on too far of a tangent with that, but I think that that really that's kind of shown in it, it, everybody's kind of living on the edge. They're at these towns that are on the edge. These guys are on the edge. It's it, it's a very marginal lifestyle. Yes. No, and that's not off. It's not off target because that's pretty much what they were showing. Mm -hmm. I mean, these, you know, these people were going to these shows because they needed some type of release because, you know, some of the towns they were going through looked like a little bit uh, upgraded version of what you would have saw from Tombstone. <laughs> you know, it's, and the thing that is, these were not sets. They were actually going through a real town and that's what yeah. it looked like. And, uh, yeah. And hey, if you, you know, to our folks, if you say, oh, the photography looks a little rough. Well, yeah, because. Romero didn't shoot anything. I don't think any of this is shot on a soundstage. I think everything is shot on location. It's all movie. shot on location. There's no soundstage. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so why. Everything you're seeing is, is going to be kind of rough. Which is why I said the sound in this movie is a little rough. I mean, the, the worst part of this movie is that there are times, uh, particularly where they're on the, uh, you know, the jousting range. I mean, mm -hmm. there are times you cannot really hear what they're saying because, the motorcycles literally drown out all the sound. Yep. But, um, and again, this is 1981. It's, I, and it's a whole nother podcast to talk about the evolution of filmmaking. Um, you know, particularly when you're shooting on a soundstage versus shooting on location, you know, in an open field like these guys are doing. I mean, yeah, it's, back then too, you didn't have all the, and he's on a shoestring and he's got 90 days. So every shot he's got to make has got to count. Yeah, because this movie, I mean, you know, I think it only cost him like four or five million bucks, if that. Yeah, if that. I'd have to look. Yeah. What other trivia you got there, Steve-O? All right. Um, here we go. When we were talking about how long this movie it is, uh, according to George Romero, uh, he stated that the first cut of the movie ran for about 17 hours. Holy shit. 17 hours. God. God knows what the hell else is out there. Okay, that's an extended DVD I don't need to see. <laughs> wow. Yep, exactly. All right, uh, first top billing lead, starring role of a cinema movie. Uh, I'm sorry. First top billing. Did they actually print that that way? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. That's, yeah, they did. They did. Wow. 
let's say it's the first cinema role of actor Ed Harris because who well typed, done. Who typed that? Good lord! I don't know. You're reading the same thing it. I am. I'm like, yes, I am. I, I know I've been drinking, but for the love of God, I can still read. Um, here you go. Uh, the picture that mixes motorbikes with medieval customs was released in the same year as. Morte Arthur Legend Excalibur. So this came out at the same time, which is interesting timing. Yeah, and I've I've got the top ten, so we'll get to all that. Oh, cool, awesome. Uh, Ed, I'm sorry, actor Ed Harris regularly performed a number of pranks at the hotel where the production was staying at the film shoot. I would love to know what those were. Ed Harris doesn't really strike me as the guy that's gonna pull pranks. <laughs> But that's probably the best part because you probably don't expect it. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Star Ed Harris had previously learned how to ride a motorbike from appearing in a television <laughs> television series, Chips. Remember oh, Chips? God. Good Lord. That was a great show. Eric Estrada. Oh, yeah. Every time you saw a special guest star, you know they were going to die. Yep. Yep. <laughs> They're like special guest red shirts. Yep. Absolutely. Well, we got a couple of cameos. He had Stephen King as Hoagie Man. <laughs> and Tabitha King was his wife as Hoagie Man's wife. And uh, a couple of the people, we have no idea who they are. So there you go. There's trivia, folks. Yeah, there's not a lot of trivia. There's that. not much. Actually, there's more than I thought there would be. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to ask you, Mark, real quick. Yep. What's your favorite scene in this movie? You know, I like some of the fight scenes, obviously. What is my favorite scene in this movie? Um, I think, all right, I'll tell you. I think it is near the end when the final joust has occurred and Ed Harris is handing off the crown to Savini. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things occurring in that four or five minutes of the movie. And there's, there is a lot of very there's not there's hardly any lines spoken, but it just it kind of ties some things together, and there's some real emotion going on because people are realizing that things will never be the same right and it's it's a real powerful little scene, and Savini and Harris carry it very well I, I really like that scene. What about you? Well, I'll tell you what. The one that I really like is, like I said, the, you know, the final joust. I mean, there's no crowds. It's the last joust, the last fight. I shouldn't say the last one. But they're doing this one to determine who is going to be the king. And I just like the fact that, you know, you know Ed Harris, he, he wants to be the king. He wants to keep his crown. But even as he's watching the joust and he's watching his his side just lose and guys are just getting whacked and whacked, he's just sitting there with this big shit-eating grin on his face because yeah. he's like, it doesn't matter. This is what it's about. And then when, it's, when, when he realizes that things are going to be the way they are, it's like he comes to closure. Yeah. He's got to do a few more. And then he has to do some things. Because he has to live life on his terms. Right. And he it, accepts it. Yeah, that's 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 a great scene, Steve. Yeah. And we're not going to, yeah, and there's, the, the I would say probably what, Mark, about the last 
15 minutes is his closure, which we're not going to give away. That's not going to be a nope. spoiler. He has to cl- he has to close out. And, you know, folks, if you want to go see the movie, I highly recommend it. You won't be disappointed. Go see it. It's it's enjoyable. But yeah. Um, yeah, and it's and the like, end is the end is really well handled. It it really is. I mean, we always talk about that. You know, movies don't end well. This one ended very well. Yeah, yeah, it really does. It and a couple things that I had even forgotten. Romero comes back and closes the circle on in that in the in the last ten minutes of the movie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, one thing we need to talk about: two things. The music, execrable. The music is just bad. Well, you know, I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to bring up the music. There's bad. It's good bad. I, I will say it's good bad. It, you know, <laughs> okay. Because part of it, I'll, I'll, hear me out. I'm going to say it's good bad because I am putting it in the, I mean, I'm going to put it in the context of the era. They really didn't know how to really do medieval music. And they kind of, they really, I think part of it is they really didn't know what should we do with this. Actually, well, Mark, they kept looping the same piece. Yeah, you know what? Never mind. Mark, you're right. The movie is pretty bad. <laughs> the music is really bad. I, 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 I don't have a defense for this. I, yeah. I, I, I I was gonna be polite, but yeah. I'm like, okay. No, no. I yield. I yield my but, my liege. I yield. <laughs> but you got to admit, one of the best movie posters ever. Oh, absolutely. Good lord, yes. When when you type in Night Riders, folks, it is one of those throwback movie posters where you go, "Yep, cool. Yep." It's almost one of those where it's like, "Can I get that somewhere so I can hang it on my wall?" Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, awesome poster. It's like Army of Darkness. With, <laughs> yes, it, it's got that. It's got that pulp, pulp magazine look to it, and it is. It is really cool. It really is, awesome. All right, uh, so there you go. We pretty much. I tried to defend it, and I couldn't. Yeah, that, so, that music sucks. Yeah, I'm. We're gonna move on. All right, folks. It is now time to move on to <laughs> brother. What you drinking? Mark, do you want to go first or? Sure, I'll go first. Yeah. Um, From our friends at Rogue. We like Rogue. Oh, my God. Thank God I didn't buy one. I I almost bought a Rogue beer. Thank God. Well, I got one because it has a man with a floppy hat and a big feather in his floppy hat. It's it's, it's their Shakespeare oatmeal stout. I think you've featured this before. And I damn near bought it today. Thank God. Wow. It's a great, it's a great oatmeal stout, isn't it, Steve? It is awesome. It really is. I mean, there's nothing more I could say. I mean, it's 5.7 alcohol, but it is one of the best. It's cold here. It's still freaking freezing in Kentucky. It, you know, it's a, it's the big pint, six fluid ounces, and I think you can get it for right at eight bucks. It is just such an awesome oatmeal stout. Nice. Slover out. I mean, what more can I say? <laughs> what, they, they just, they do a great stout. What's your ABV? It's only 5.7. Oh, so you're, you're, you're not, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I'm, cool. I'm all right. So let's hear it, Mr. Michaels. <sighs> all right. Well, I am drinking the, um, uh, I'm doing a double header from uh, last week. I'm doing another stone 
uh, brewery because I love these guys. And I'm drinking the Lucky Bastard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, shouldn't have, I should have only bought one. Um, huh, you did two of them? Yeah, I'm on number two now. What's the ABV on that bad boy? Uh, let's see. Focus, focus. Focus. 8.5%. <laughs> Seventeen yeah, percent between two of them. Give yourself a Godzilla. I can't give a Godzilla on that one. I've only had one or two. Oh, well, actually, well, you I'm had, at you one, had two. That's seventeen percent. No, I'm at one and a half. So I, oh, I still right. can't. I don't. It doesn't deserve the Godzilla for that. I, I bought one, and the guy told me. Well, he said if you like the arrogant bastard, you'll really like this. And I'm trying to read the thing. They got the damn type on this thing so small when you get old you can't read yeah what what is what is an arrogant bastard i'm trying to remember it is uh let's see it is okay it's the lucky bastard it lucky is okay. the triumvirate of arrogant bastard ale oaked arrogant bastard ale and the blue bastard ale and it's all in one thing and it's been uh aged so wow so there's like three oh there's three stone beers in this thing, and obviously it came to eight and a half percent, which actually is kind of pissing me off. I, I would have thought that it would have been at least like twelve or something. But so is it porter stout? No, ale? it's it's what, pretty what much it? it's a very very dark. Um, it's hard to you know I mean. Stone always over hops their stuff, so it's, yeah. it's kind of hoppy. But I mean, it's not it's not hoppy to the point where you're like, oh god, I can't drink this. It's it's pretty good. I mean, it's pretty dark. It almost has the color of a Scotch ale, but, okay, but a little bit more of a IPA bite, but not overwhelming. Uh, I will definitely get more of this. It's very now, very. Good. Is it is it? Does it have any malt to it, or is it more hop? Well, it's down. No, it's, it's no, hoppy. no, it's hoppy, but there is actually a very good malt uh, taste to it. Okay. No, it's it's very it's very well balanced. This is a very well balanced beer. Uh, I will definitely. I like I said, I bought two of them. Uh, I will probably go out and get more. I highly, highly recommend this one. All right, there you go. That's what we've got, and uh, so we don't have Ken. We don't have no catching up with Ken, and I'm sure. Jeff is drinking a Dr. Pepper somewhere. So there you go. That is it with Brother What You Drink, and we're going to move on to Clips, one of our favorite parts of the show. And I'm curious to what you picked for tonight. You know, there's 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 not much. I was I was mm-hmm. digging in uh, I was digging deep. So uh, some of these have no rhyme or reason. So number one, Daddy, you're a slob, a fat slob. Uh, isn't that what much te- most teenage daughters at some point say to their fathers? Well, usually not to their face, but uh, I think at that time, Pat Tallman had no problem doing it. Yeah, so. yeah, and that kind of that's kind of her acting range at this point in her career. Yeah, like I said, it, it was her first movie. I think she yep. was like, what, 18? Yeah, 18 or 19. 18 or 19. She, yeah, she. Ooh, you'll understand <laughs> when you watch the movie. Yeah. You're like, wow. Yep. Those things are on anti-gravity. <laughs> wow. Minbari technology. Oh, my <laughs> God. You know what I'm talking about. I was going to say, really? Wow. Okay. All right. Number two. 
Just what the hell am I signing away here? Well, your your intelligence, your good looks, and your social standing. Nothing really. If- <laughs> and that clip is kind of what I'm talking about. You heard more of the motorcycle than you do, you heard yep. of the vocal. And yep. and and that's after me actually doing some editing of uh the sound. So But that's Friar Tuck and he has yeah. he gets to play comic relief and he's got some great lines in this movie. Yep, absolutely. All right, uh let's see. I like the, I like this one. It's 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 fun. Don't forget to pick up the helmet. Thing that looks like your head, only it's got a chin strap. <laughs> uh, yeah, he is definitely the comic relief. All right, this is number four. This is, I think, this is the one that really kind of tells you that you know everybody's here for their certain reasons, but evidently Ed Harris is in a very different reason, and it may be on a different plane of existence. So, okay. That kid, that kid, kid thinks I'm evil Knievel. That kid thinks you're Billy Davis, Sir William the Knight. You're his hero. I'm not trying to be a hero. I'm fighting the dragon. But, you know, uh, and I give Ed Harris a whole lot of credit, and I give Romero as the writer and director a whole lot of credit. It, it's not played over the top. The guy, the Billy has... Bill, Billy's got baggage, but he's not played as a psycho. The guy's why the guy is just really tightly wound. Right. Well, it's and, not a caricature. Yeah, and I think there are. And, and Mark, we we've seen these guys too when we did, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, several reenacting. You you ran in the people that were, you know, you were just sorry, but you were born in the wrong century. Right. I mean, for right. whatever reason. Right. They, Maybe you're reincarnated or whatever, but you're just not in the right century. And you need to realize that this is, you know, we're all trying to play a part, but you're getting a little carried away. <laughs> That's, that is a really good point, Steve. Yeah. That is an excellent point. Uh, let's see. Number, well, here you go, Mark. This is the part where I hit the pause button for an hour. <laughs> you're not a real priest, are you? You're goddamn right. No, I'm just kidding. No, I couldn't have any fun. <laughs> oh, I take that back. That was... <laughs> no, that was when they were getting the insurance rider from the police. <laughs> right. I kept thinking about when Pat Talbot was standing there naked oh. going, Hey, you, priest, didn't you take a vow or something? <laughs> I I can't even remember my own clips. But, no, that's a great... I love that part. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, let's see. Next one. There's not two different fights. There can't be two different fights. You've got to fight for your ideals, and if you die, your ideals don't die. The code that we're living by is the troop. The troop is our code. I can't let people walk on that idea. I can't. See, and that goes back to what we were talking about. I mean, he is on a whole different level than a lot of the other people in in the troop. You know, but conversely... I really, there's a part of me that admires Billy. Yes. He's not going to sacrifice his principle. You know, he truly believes this way. And who says he's wrong? But that's the thing, Mark. I mean, he is just a guy of principles. I mean, you know, you can look at it and say, okay, the guy's pretending he's a medieval knight. Who's he hurting? He's not hurting anybody. 
He's just and you he, know what? Who's he helping? Right. Because actually, he elevates a lot of other people around him to do to be something more than what they are. Well, you know what? They actually talk about that throughout the show, and you, it, it's very it's done very subtly. And yeah. but you look at how many people are being elevated. Who, if it wasn't for him, what the hell would they be doing? You want fries yep. with that? I mean, that's basically uh, yes. what, where they yes. would be. And you, yeah, really, he's given them a purpose. Yeah, he's given them a purpose. I mean, that, and that's actually really, you know, again, it's you, you miss a lot of stuff until you really start looking and analyzing the show. So, and this is a movie. Yeah, and I think we should say that to the audience. You can watch this movie for for what it presents itself as. You know, motorcycle jousting with with a character conflict between good versus evil. Or you can really watch this movie and you're going to you're going to pull out some of the stuff we discussed here. Right. All right. Uh let's see. Call this one Crown of Thorns. I made a decision. When this thing is over today, I'm taking off with this guy. I mean, he's offering me the world, and this is rapidly going into the toilet. And I deserve to be king. So I'm forming my own kingdom. Pardon me, but you didn't win the right. You didn't win the crown. Oh, jeez, come on. I beat Billy in Bakersfield. I've been beating him regularly. And I don't want his crown. That's a crown of thorns, if you know what I mean. And now that was the turn. That was when, you know, like in in King Arthur, Mordred kind of does his own thing. Yep. The the round table is broken. Yeah. That whole motorcycle fight gets ugly. Yes. That gets personal. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it does. I mean, that's where you see where, I mean, you kind of saw that in the beginning where they would always check weapons. It's like, yeah, you know what? This can really hurt somebody. And then they get to the point where it's like, they don't give a shit what they got. And it's, I mean, people are getting, because that's the thing. It's like, you know, we're really starting to hurt each other. I mean, people are getting seriously hurt. And spectators get involved. Yeah. So. uh, It takes, it it, kind of sets the tone for the second half of the movie. Right. Right. All right, next one. You can only be one king, Morgan. You can't just split off and start over again whenever you want. You both know that inside. There can only be one king, one time. That's the law. That's a neat little scene because Savini's realized after the blow up at the hotel. Yep. And, yeah, it's, it's a trope because all of a sudden they easily find Savini and but Gary Lottie, who plays, I think, Alan, he's trying, you know, he, he's saying, look, you know the rules. Don't break the rules. If you want to be king, then become king. But you got to do it the right way. Right. Right. Exactly. All right. Last one. And, Mark, this one's for you. All right. My king. If you'll allow me, I will fight for you in defense of the crown. These others will challenge. Shit, I can't talk like that. <laughs> Morgan's agreed to fight, and if you promise to sit on your ass and stay out of the way, there's still some of us that'll fight for you. All right. That's from the hint. Yep. And, and that's a great little scene. It is. You, you think at that point, okay, maybe things are going to go back to the way they were. 
Nope. Yeah. Well, and part of the, and the reason that is is that they kept wanting him to sit down is because Ed Harris has been badly hurt. I mean, for, yeah. for years. I mean, this guy, I mean, he is a train wreck. I mean, he has no business being on, uh, you know, being out there jousting. But he still has to go out and do it. And every time he does, he just gets hurt worse and worse. And that's what that was their whole thing. It's like, if something happens to you, this whole thing falls apart. Right. You know, they're right. like, you're our leader. You're the one that's keeping us together. Our job is to protect you. It's like, just sit on your ass and let us do the hard work. Yeah, you be the king, we'll be the knights. Right, exactly. Yep. All right, folks, that is it with uh, clips. We are now moving on to the top movies. Or I'm sorry. We are now moving on to the top ten movies of 1981. Mark, what do you got? All right. Before we hit the top ten, there's a couple that were below the top ten but are worth mentioning. All right. What do you got? 1981. Number 32, a movie we reviewed, Escape from New York. Oh, my God. That didn't make the top ten? No. Holy. made number 32. My gosh. Yes. Uh, Number 23, American Werewolf in London. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry. That's kind of an awesome movie. We need to put that on the list, actually. For Halloween. Halloween. Yes. Yes. Next Halloween. Yes. (laughs) Number 19, Mel Brooks, History of the World, Part 1. And number 18, the other King Arthur movie that came out the same year, Excalibur. Excalibur did not make the top 10. Interesting. Very and Clash interesting. of Titans actually came in at 11, ahead of Excalibur. I know. I'm shocked, too. Are you effing kidding me? No. Oh, my God. Okay, so the top 10. All right, the top 10. Another medieval-esque bleeds into Robin Hood and Napoleon and Agamemnon. No. Time Bandit yes! at number 10. Yes! It's got to be on the list. We've got to I, do that movie. I agree. I mean, yes. tell me about digital watches. <laughs> if I was creating the world, it wouldn't be butterflies Lasers, and daffodils. Lasers, 8 o'clock, day one. Day one. Oh, my gosh. We, we have we got to do that movie oh sorry folks i love that movie sorry folks Great we got a little carried away <laughs> yep uh number nine four seasons uh chick book <laughs> Num- number eight a bond movie for your eyes only not a bad bond movie not one of the best but not, not one of the worst yeah not one of the best but Number seven, Chariots of Fire. I actually like Chariots of Fire. Yes, that's a very good movie. Yes. Number six, a painful ensemble cast Burt Reynolds movie, Cannonball Run. Never was a fan. Nope. I I don't know if I should be ashamed to say that or proud to say it. I I, I don't know. Nope. I'm like you. I never cared for it. Number five, a movie we reviewed, Stripes. (laughs) <laughs> nice. So does this does this mean training's over for the day, Sergeant Holka? <laughs> <laughs> Number four, not a man cave movie, but I remember seeing it at the theater. Funny at the time, Arthur. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's actually pretty funny. 
It's a funny little movie. John Gielgud yeah. steals yeah. the movie. Yep, pretty much. Number three, a pretty good superhero movie, Superman 2. That's where the three bad guys come, are freed upon planet Earth against Superman. It's not a bad movie. As far as Superman oh. movies go, and I'm not a Superman fan. Yeah, that's It's the... for Colonel, whatever his name, and the badass chick, and the dull-witted hulking guy oh yeah they're all they're all from they're all from the same planet yeah Uh, yeah you're right it's not it's not it's pretty it's entertaining yeah number two on golden pond henry fonda's last movie oh yeah i know and number one a movie we reviewed excellent movie raiders of the lost ark oh by all means yes yes Blew away number number two was on Golden Pond. Total gross was 119 million. Raiders 212 million. Head and shoulders above yeah. everybody else. Yeah, and and well deserved. I mean that oh, yeah. that movie is uh, wow. Yeah, iconic. Yeah, it so is. It is iconic. Top, top ten with a few sidebars of 1981. Yeah, and you know I like the sidebars. I think that does help, um, you know, put some of the things in perspective. I mean, because there's some movies where, gosh, I can't believe that didn't make the top ten. So, oh, I know. Yeah, I was surprised. Oh, another good one that didn't make the top ten. I just looked at is um, Nighthawks. Oh my God, I told that's a I have, good movie. We've, you know, be honest with you, we've got to do that. And you know what? For no other reason, because we haven't done enough Stallone, and. That- Rutger Hauer. Rutger Hauer. Oh, Gallipoli, number 77. Yep. Victory came out. I'll tell you what, there's another. We're, we're going to be doing this thing till we're 90. Because 1981 had a lot of good movies come out. Victory is an awesome movie. And yeah, it, it's, it's a fun, if you, if you accept the premise, it's a fun, it's a fun throwback to the World War II 60s escape movies. Well, that and just the fact that who you had in the cast. I mean, yes, yes. I I think that you, when you have, it, it's an amazing. And again, we're going off on a tangent, folks. Forgive us, but when you've got <laughs> Michael Caine going up against Sylvester Stallone, and oh, yeah. to be honest with you, Stallone, this is literally one of his best performances. Oh yeah, he's oh, really. Very it's really well done. Yeah, he's really doing a good job in this movie. Here's another movie I just noticed that we reviewed. Outland came out in 1981. Yeah, there's 44. Yeah, you know, it's it's probably one of those things where you go through there and you're like, God, how did we miss some of these? Yeah, Dragon Slayer, which is a good movie. Yes. Scanners, talk about a grindhouse <laughs> movie. Oh my God. <laughs> Talk about a grind. I mean, there's some good movies that came out in 1981. Yeah. Oh, Dogs of War came out in 1981. Oh, good Lord. We haven't done Dogs of War. That is a great movie. Wow. Christopher Walken, Tom Berenger. Tom Ber- one of Tom Berenger's early movies. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, that's 1981. Beyonce, the 81 was a great year for movies. All right, folks, there you go. That is it with the top 10 movies and honorable mentions of 1981. It is now time to move on to the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist of this great and fantastic film. 
Number one. Did anyone jump through a window? No. No. Did any wait? Did any wait? No, I don't think no. there was a single no. window that was broken. Um, no. Somebody should have been holding up a window pane for some of these guys to run through because there was epic flying in the air. But uh, but no, no no window. Nope, no windows. Uh, good Lord. All right, number two. If you want him, come and claim him. Was there a Liv Tyler role in the movie? <sighs> what do you think, Steve? You know, I'm going to say no. I'm going I'm, I'm to agree. Yeah, I... I mean, as much as uh, what's her name, I can't even remember the the queen. Oh, um, Lynette. Yeah, Lynette. I no, she no. needed to be there. Yeah, she had to be there. There really wasn't. No, 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 no relevant female roles. No. Nope. I mean, I I could try and dig a ditch and say Pat Tallman, but I like Pat Tallman, so I'm not going to go there. Well, I'm not even going to say she was irrelevant. No. She no, she wasn't. I mean, to be honest with you, she actually had a lot more screen time than a lot of the others. Yeah, no, she wasn't. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Next clip. <laughs> was there a Wilhelm scream in this movie? This is a movie that cried out for one, but I didn't hear one. You're right, Mark. This there should have been a Wilhelm scream about every 15 minutes in this movie. <laughs> this I I am actually quite disappointed in George Romero. What the too. hell was he thinking? This is. I didn't have it in the budget. Uh, you know what? I think you're right. I don't think it was in the budget. I really don't. No, oh, no, gosh. No. All right. All right. Next. Could the female role be better played by Tani Katane? Tani Katane could have been in this movie. Oh, by all means. I mean, good Lord. She would have been. Oh, my God. Like 20? Oh, she could something. have been like a Xena warrior princess on the back of a motorcycle. Well, she could have been the queen. She could have, she could have oh, played yeah. any part that they needed in this one. She, this oh, was, yeah. she was in her prime and looked the prime for this. Oh, she would have looked great for this movie. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yes. All right. Uh, so we're subtle on that. Next one. Was there a montage in this movie? What do you think, Steve? Well, you know, I think I, I would say there was a montage in some of the scenes, like in the early part of the movie when they were like setting up camp and getting everything together, and you saw everybody. There, there definitely yeah. was a montage in the early part. Um, getting the bikes together, yep. getting everything organized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I could see that. Yeah, there were definitely a montage in this one. I, yeah. I, I actually have that in my notes. Yeah, and uh, also when they're trying to get the bikes rebuilt for the one second or third show. Yes. Yeah, there's, yeah. There's, yeah it's, it's got montage. Absolutely. All right, there you go. All right, and let's see. Last and certainly not least. And so it begins. Was there a Babylon 5 reference in this movie? Take it, Steve. Mark, no, this is all yours. No, 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 no. This one's you because I've got something else for you. Oh, I think I know the other one, too. All right, go ahead. All right, well, obviously, Pat Tallman. As, um, as, as whom in Babylon 5? <clears throat> Pat Tallman was, she was in there in the very first episode of B5. 
and she played Lita Alexander, and yep. she was the telepath. And she was instrumental in later parts of the series. Right. And oh, then yeah. did you catch the other one? Uh, yes, I did, and I I recognized him right off the bat. I'm like, he's a lot skinnier in this movie, but uh, yeah. but Mark, by all means, please. Ken, Ken Forey. Yes, he plays Little John, the Af- the 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 heavily built, large African American fellow in the movie, mm-hmm. and he's from Indianapolis. Actually, yeah, he's from the hometown. Yep, he played in the great episode Gropo's PFC Large. He was yeah. the big. <laughs> hulking, um, cigar-smoking <laughs> grunt in that episode, and he was great in that episode. Yep, absolutely. He was awesome. Yep, he was awesome. So two two nice two nice B5 characters it, it showed up in this movie. I, I mean, that's kind of amazing. Yeah. When you think about it. I mean, that's, uh, well, again, you know, Lita Alexander, I'm Lita, but Pat Tallman, I mean, she was... Uh, I mean, she was one of the few that's, well, she wasn't in the first episode. Well, she was in The Gathering. She was in The she Gathering. Was in the she, she was in the very first movie. She but was she, in the pilot. Yeah, she was in the pilot. Then they got rid of her in the first episode, and they brought her back in the second. She was there for the rest of the whole season. She she came back second season and stuck around the whole yeah. time. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah and, and Ken Forey, he's still doing stuff. He's got projects all the way out to 2016. Wow. Good for him. Yeah. All right, folks, there you go. That is it with the checklist. Uh, we are now going to move on to the Man Cave movie review of this great and fantastic film since we forgot to do it last week. Sorry. Steve, take this one. You you recommended this. This is a little cult flick. Take it. All right. You know, guys, I like this movie. It's it's a lot of fun. It it's It's a little chewy, and there's a lot of stuff in here that can probably be cut out. This is one of those movies I think that George Romero, this was definitely a labor of love for him. I mean, I think, like you said, I mentioned in the uh, in the trivia. I mean, the original cut of this movie was like 17 hours, and I think there was so much stuff in this movie that he really saw and really enjoyed. He really didn't know what to cut, and you're seeing in this movie what he wanted you to see. And Again, this is a long movie. It's two hours and 37 minutes, I think, from start to credits. So, uh, you know, get your feet set. It's, but it's a good movie. If, uh, for those of you in the reenacting community, you got to watch it. You will, uh, you'll appreciate it. As movies go, I do like this one. It does have a, you know, a special place in my heart. A 7.75. Wow. Yeah. It, I, I do. I really like it. I really like and, yeah, and, and, and I, I think you nailed you nailed a lot of my sentiments about this movie. It's it's an offbeat, quirky movie. Um it it's it's got a lot of depth to it for what it is, Steve. You know it? And I, I'm I'm not gonna give it quite that high, but I'm gonna give it a seven and a half. And I think the things that hold it back are like you said, there are some things that could be cut and some of the sound and and uh, photography issues, but the actors and the underlying story—they're really well done. Good acting and a good story. Yeah, and in my in my rating is basically based on the story, and that's yeah. pretty much it. Like I said, I have to agree with Mark. One of the biggest issues I had with this movie was the sound. 
Um, oh and, yeah, and, and it's you, obvious. Yeah, it's obvious, and and you probably heard it in the clips. I mean, it's it's really, really, really bad. You know, you get past that, it's it's just really a very well done story, and I think that's what I like about it is I can get past if you've got a good story to tell me, I can get past a lot of the crap. I can get past, yep. you know, bad sound. All right, the, you know, some, but and again, even the filmography, or I'm sorry, the cinematography, those motorcycle jow scenes. I mean, who the hell was the cameraman? Right, dude, that dude was awesome because you saw some great camera shots. Yeah, you know, and I should I should correct myself. It's yeah. not necessarily photography; it's the quality of the film. Yes, and, but you know what? That's that's, that's what you get. That's what you period. got from back then. That's from the yeah. period, and it's probably you know Romero was like, <laughs> I need the cheapest film I can get. Right, dude's on a right. budget. So, but you know it it's it it is. You can watch it on YouTube. It's in eight parts, and it I I'm I'm like Steve. I I think that you know part of our job here is to kind of introduce some movies to people that we think that they would like. And this is one of those I think that the uh, troglodytes would love of the man cave. The man cave troglodytes would enjoy this movie. I agree. And again, like Mark said, this is, you know, an obscure movie. Obviously we stumped everybody on the Facebook page with the quote. Nobody, yeah. nobody had any idea what that we were talking about. So again, it's, you're, it's one of those movies you're going to love it. You're going to hate it. And if you hate it again, we don't, it's one of those, it's a personal type movie. You know, again, it's like I said, we, you know, we were reenactors. So some, a lot of what was going on in this movie, we could relate to, not because we did medieval jousting no. and shit, but it's that, like Mark said, the community. Yeah. We can relate well, to that. And I think it's personal experience. And, you know, right. I don't necessarily say any age, but if you're older, you've had these kinds of experiences. This is life. You are going to be faced with making these decisions and being in groups and communities and being at crossroads. It's not meant to be a heavy movie, but it does address some of those issues that everybody's going to face at some point in their life. Right. So good movie, fun movie. You know, you're not going to get burned and you can watch it for free on YouTube. So, you know, we're not going to, we didn't give a lot away um, because you really need to watch this movie. And Ed Harris and Tom Savini, really, some some very good acting in this movie. Yeah, definitely. All right, folks, that is it with the Man Cave Movie Review, episode 146. And uh, please check us out on our website at mancavemoviereview.com. And look for us on iTunes at Man Cave Movie Review and leave us a comment and tell us if you like the show or didn't like it. You can also listen to us on Stitcher and look for us on Facebook at Man Cave Movie Review and follow us on Twitter. So until next week, I am your host, Steve Michaels, signing off with my very good and dear friend, Mark. It's a damnable thing. Slover. You know, Steve, tell me what you think about this idea. But I think Jeff Muncy needs a butterfly tattoo on his forehead. I'm all in. <laughs> I'm, I'm. You take him to the tattoo parlor. I'll hold him down. <laughs> it's a deal. <laughs> it is a deal. There you go. Muncie, beware. That's right. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, speaking of our good dear friend Jeff uh, <laughs> Butterfly Muncie <laughs> and uh, Ken, I'm 
after I'm passed out with a bottle of Pinot Grigio Roni. Uh, those our other two good and dear friends uh, will be back next week, we hope. Uh, and if not, the dynamic duo will be here again. But we hope you enjoyed the show. Please uh, stick with us, and we will see you next week. Until then, ciao. Tasted this one before, and I am intrigued. It's going to be, it should be interesting. Actually, I'm going to probably just crack this and get started on it because I got the impression this might take me a while. So. Dogfish? <laughs> no, and it's not dogfish. Good lord, no. <laughs> we should, we should never, we shall never tap the dogfish Mm-mm. again. Uh uh-uh. uh Yeah. Anytime you ever see a beer that's what, what was it, nineteen percent or something oh, like? Oh God, geez. I it was awful. Whatever it was. Yeah, when you're poor. It was, it is over 15. I know that. Yeah. When you're pouring it and it's coming out looking like uh, you're just emptying out the oil of your lawnmower after a hard summer, uh, you know you're in for a treat. Well, I, I don't know if I ever told you, but it burned through my deck, went through my <laughs> downstairs deck, continued into the yard, killed three chipmunks, <laughs> finally stopped about 40 feet into the gra- in, into the earth. Ugh. Damn was, stuff with alien blood. I don't even remember. It, it was dogfish something or other, and I thought, oh, I must try. Well, I, you know, the hint that the fact that it was just a normal-sized bottle of beer and it cost, like, what, 10 bucks should have yeah. made me right there. So. It was like an IPA or something. No, it was, it was, uh, it was. No, it, was, it wasn't an IPA. No, it was, was an it? IPA. It was, like, some solid black stout but, of. But it wasn't a porter. Yeah, it might have been a stout. I think it was the blood of Satan. Is that's <laughs> what it, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Because <laughs> good lord, that was that was some. Oh harsh, my god, that was some harsh stuff. I I mean I yield to few in my uh, <clears throat> capacity for uh, good bravare and uh, any kind of alcohol, but good lord, that was that was hitting me. That was that was vile. That wasn't even alcohol. Yeah.